DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to welcome in the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. His weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, David James. How are you? I'm good. Good morning, Patrick Kinahan. What are you doing? Lock, 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 locking on heaven's door. That's what I'm doing. Oh, I like it. (laughs) I'm going to ask you the unanswerable question. And Mm -hmm. I suspect that you could take so long with the answer that PK would never get to ask a question and we would be out of time. Oh, my gosh. That'd be awesome. (laughs) PK gets paid for nothing. I wasn't supposed to to react that quickly. Sorry. Put your feet up, PK. Here we go. Okay. Ownership changes. We've all been sports fans a long time following multiple leagues, and we have seen franchises transformed for better and worse. We've seen down franchises stay down, and we've seen up franchises stay up through a sale. Really, anything can happen. What do you think is going to change with the Jazz with an ownership change? No idea. (laughs) Short answer on to you, PK. (laughs) i got 100 questions, but do you want to elaborate, or do you want me to go on to my Um, question? Well, I think there's a core value and essence that the Millers have implemented over 30 plus years that I think will hold true um, for, you know, for a lengthy period of time, if not forever. Um, I bet you, you know, we don't know intimately what those um, ownership changes were, but I mean, I'm just like, let's take Dallas when Cuban took over. That seems like that you know, was the new school owner taking over for the old school owner in a pretty dramatic fashion. And I don't know how that organization was run beforehand, but I bet there were some, some core values that held for a long time. Now, Balmer taking over for Sterling's really a different circumstance, right? You've got to blow up the entire culture of what, what's been there and convince everybody it's, it's vastly different. You know, I, I think, and frankly, David was the one who kind of reminded me of this, so I don't want to take credit for it our thoughts on the Millers as an ownership group are Gail and her, you know, kind of almost, you know, it felt like hands off until there was a crisis. And then this incredible settling hand that that's, you know, gave us great comfort and leadership. Um, and Larry in his last stages, which was still frankly, hands on. I mean, he was pretty intimately involved in the Matt Harpering and Andre Karolinko contracts and, and things of that nature. And he, you know, was still doing an hourly radio show. So it wasn't like he was quiet, but it felt as though he was letting everyone do their work. You know, you go back and listen to the stories of the nineties and, you know, Larry's even more intimately involved, right. And he's in the locker room and he's in the line, warm up line. And he's, you know, he's canning, he's in the line of the starting lineup, giving out high fives and he's got his locker. And so I think, we have to remember that owners evolve and that, you know, it's really no different than taking a new job. It just happens to be really high profile. And so Ryan Smith in 2021 and Ryan Smith in 2041 and hopefully Ryan Smith in 2051 are probably all going to be a little different. Ryan and Ashley Smith, I should say. Yeah, I think from the fan perspective, you know, they just want to win. They want to win the title. They want to go as far as you possibly can because it's fun for them. And we all know that there's a great, attachment between the jazz and the fans and they're looking at it in the immediacy what can he do to help us get better and to help us win and to go advance more into the postseason so immediately you've got a clarkson and a go bear come up with contracts and there's always going to be something every year with that stuff how do you think it plays out in the immediacy 
Well, I mean, the New York Knicks and some others have proven that spending for the sake of spending doesn't do the job, right? The 76ers proved that last year in a pretty high-level dysfunctional flame-out. Um, the Celtics, frankly, proved that the year before. So, um, you know, I think you've got to make the right moves, and you've got to have an organizational structure that um, has people in it who you let do their jobs, and you can definitely be involved. I mean, let's be honest. If any of us bought a team for $1.6 billion, like I'm going to practice every day. <laughs> I'm going to every meeting. I'm involved in everything if I bought a team. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Like, I got asked the other day, you know, like who the perfect owner is. And I, you know, I answered like, you know, maybe Peter Hall, but frankly, the Millers had the third best winning percentage in the time they owned the franchise. So maybe they deserve that credit um, as well. But, you know, this is a different game. The prices are different. The, the age of the owners are different. And um, so, you know, I think your chance, you know, is it in the immediacy? Like, are you just going to roll out the super max contract to Rudy Gobert because you have, sold your company for 8 billion. Well, that's not very smart. Like it's the, you know, if the Supermax is the right deal to make, then it was the right deal to make with the Millers or with Ryan and Ashley Smith. And so I don't think it's the, the decision-making on these and Jordan Clarkson is, you know, either the right decision or somebody instead of Jordan Clarkson is the right decision. But they, I don't think the, the, the answers to those questions change because of ownership change. And nor were the Millers cutting corners on us. Like, like you know, hey, the Millers didn't have NBA cash the way a lot of these owners do, right? The games change. Joe Sy and Steve Ballmer, and I mean, these are this is different. But and sure, Ryan Smith is, and you know, his Qualtrics success has led he and Ashley to have money that's closer to that. How how big a money do you have to be to be a big money owner? That's an interesting concept. Set everything we know about the globe aside and just look at the 30 owners. What's high end and low end? Accepting that on the surface, it's all high end money, right? But just in NBA circles, what is high end and low end money now? You know, honestly, and I'm not like saying this like as a joke, like I don't get it because when I try to think, I actually did this exercise today. So there's, there's an interesting thing going on in MLB and NBA right now. Each league has now, if the Steve Cohen deal with the Mets goes through, each league has a owner that is so dramatically richer than any other owner in the league. So, like, you know, Ballmer's net worth is like $25 billion, I think, and, like, the next guy on the list is like $10 billion. Like, that's not close. And, frankly, when we look at the net worth of somebody at $2 billion versus $1 billion, that's not close either. Right? Like, Let's never forget that, like, when we talk about these things, and we're trying to figure it out, like, $2.1 billion is, that one is $100 million. <laughs> mm. So, you know, you can look at the listings, and, like, the Millers were, I think, like, 19th on net worth at $1.9 billion. But does that actually, you know, I don't, like, if the team was worth one point six, then, you know, then the rest of the holdings, like, I don't know how they equate that one point nine. But, like, 1.9 is not close to 2.9. No. <laughs> a big difference financially, no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, like, really, like, and, and so to, I don't know how to answer your question, DJ, because I don't know where that number is that, like, it just doesn't matter anymore. And I also just don't know, 
you know, there's some number in there, right? Where if you're over two or you're over 1.5, I don't know that like luxury tax doesn't matter. But I, I think everyone, you know, my dad once reminded me, <clears throat> don't ever forget that the, the millionaire likes his 73rd million just as much as his first. I'm going to write that down so I never forget it. My dad never told me that, PK. Did your dad ever tell you that? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> it's probably true, though. That's a good point. I'm going to hold on to that. Uh, and I think the most the thing that's got me most excited is it's a local ownership. And I look back, and my since I moved to Salt Lake, McCarthy's owned the Tribune when I worked there, and then others owned it. And my most favorite time of working at the Tribune is when I knew Tom McCarthy, who owned the paper, big sports fan, interacted with him a lot. I felt like I felt a connection to Tom because it was his paper, but he was there, and I knew it mattered. So in turn, it mattered to me. And same thing in radio with Simmons, and then with the Millers, and now Ryan Smith. It, you know, it's, it's we're sort of going into obviously a little bit of unknown territory. But my guess is there'll be that big time connection. So again, from the fan standpoint, I think that this is the best case scenario if the Millers have to give up or want to sell the team, which obviously they do. Is that it's a local guy? Respond to that. Oh, I mean, we should be going crazy with excitement on that. I mean, I lived it, right? I lived it. I lived it on the other. Uh, everyone thinks I lived it when I was in Seattle when they sold it to Oklahoma City. But what I really lived was the person who had success in business in Seattle but didn't have any tie to Seattle and Howard Schultz. And he just quit on the city. He didn't give a crap. Right. He just quit. Like, we can talk about Oklahoma City carpetbagging in and not telling the truth for two years while they're stealing the franchise. But the only way that's possible is the fact that the guy who'd made millions with his coffee chain, and billions probably, and his coffee chains, yeah, just completely quitting on the city because he had no tie. He didn't grow up rooting for Gus Williams, Freddie Brown, Tom Brown, and Jack Sickman. He rooted for the Knicks. Don't forget Lonnie Shelton. Don't not forget Lonnie Shelton. Um, <laughs> and J.J., John Johnson. Um, John's a small forward. That's right. Notoriously, like, crazy parent in high school games around Seattle, by the way. Um, So, like, that's the bit. uh, To me, that's the real story, is that Ryan Smith is tied to, you know, whether it's Darren Williams when he was 35 or whether it was, you know, Carl. Carl Malone and John Stockton when he was younger. I don't know how old his he was when his dad took the job at BYU. Um, you know, he's that's been what he's, you know, that's his, his deal. Th- that's different than just having success in a city uh, and then buying the franchise because you happen to live there as your, as your local toy just to go to games. And it's even, you know, more so um, – than the guy who comes from out of state who tests the market to see what's going on. But, I mean, you know, you could have had the Las Vegas businessman buy the team who's going to just see if it works in Utah until he decides to move it to Vegas. So, no, we should be going absolutely crazily insane about the fact that we have a marketplace that now has fostered someone to have business success at a level where they can buy an NBA franchise. I actually think that there's a – you know, if you look at the history, we've all been here for a long time. If you look at the history of the city, I actually think it kind of parallels, and the state maybe, it parallels our ownership group. So, you know, if you go to 1978, it's an out-of-state money guy 
taking advantage of bringing his out-of-state money into Salt Lake and kind of testing to see if the market's got enough economic viability. The next owner is a self-made Utah business person as the economy kind of grows as Western Airlines now is a hub um, evolving into Delta and suddenly Salt Lake's changing and there's enough business that people can begin to make it themselves, but it's still kind of the blue collar, like start as a parts department guy, memorize everything, move it, get the boat dealership in Denver, bring it to Utah story. And now we have the modern version of Silicon Slopes and this emerging tech world and us moving, you know, you know, moving toward more of the advanced business and which leads to wealth begets wealth. And, you know, I think the next stage in our economy is very similar to what happened in Seattle when I was there, which was all the Microsoft millionaires left Microsoft to go build their own little companies. And you had this just incredible tech explosion. Well, I feel like that's what's about to happen here with all the Qualtrics millionaires. Well, you know, leaving Qualtrics or going on their own to build their next company because they have enough money and you now have this amazing explosion and plural site fits into this and and you know domo and the others and we have this explosion and ryan smith is the first you know the biggest and you know biggest software deal ever in the history of the market so i think that it's it's kind of an evolution to where we are it's a statement that as a state and as a as a metroplex that we've reached a point where we can actually have someone with enough wealth to buy an nba team Going to be enough wealth then to bring in another elite pro sports team? And what sport would it be? Or I'm overreaching. Mm. Hmm. I don't know. That's a great question. Um, baseball, yeah, Ray. Pro, 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 baseball. I, I think the first question to you is wealth, I think, is yes. And I think the 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 manageable one is hockey. But it's competing at the exact same time as the, as as the NBA. But the, the, the issue is the issue is not what I think we're talking about of whether another pro sports team can come in. It, it's not whether or not we have the fan base. I think we have the population. That's clear. You know, we're, there's multiple uh, markets with less people that have professional sports teams and multiple. And it's not necessarily the individual owner with enough wealth. I think we'll have that. It's the multitude of businesses to sponsor. Right now, there are not enough corporate sponsors to support another team. And frankly, when you walk in and look at the Utah Jazz building, you know, the Jazz are 20 sponsorships at level X that build up what this franchise is. You walk into San Francisco, it's four franchises at 10X that is making their sponsorship dollars. And you've got to have enough industry and economy and mass that, that four, those four X's are driving the game instead of 25 or 30 sponsorships a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the essence of it, that you have to have that in order to have the other stuff, right? Right. You can piece it. The Jazz have done an unbelievable job. If you look at the metrics of like market size versus revenue, in this, and maybe the sale price shows that. You know, the sales team of the Jazz over the years has done just remarkable work to be able to piece together. You know, the credit unions and everyone else. You know, I can run our sponsors. I know them all pretty well, right? I do say them every night. Um, whereas. 
you know, to really have multiple sports franchises. Chase Bank needs to be funding one of the major sponsorships. Well, so, you know, some other national company. We don't have massive national sponsorships in this market. And I don't think we're getting Anheuser-Busch anytime soon. <laughs> you know, the other, the other hitch, cool. the other hitch in the, uh, and that, only no. if refrigerated. <laughs> the, the other hitch in all of that is who's going to pay for the stadiums? Because in some stadiums, and we just saw the, uh, the World Series, right? And they played in a stadium built right next to a stadium, and the old stadium is 20 years old. It's only old, the economic model is old, but the steel and the concrete and the plastic. <laughs> that should have lasted another forty years. Right. Uh, right. So the, I mean, Atlanta, the whole, Atlanta's the Atlanta one, right? too. Yeah, Atlanta and Dallas have both done it. Just just building new stadiums left and right. And I don't know who wants to build an arena or a stadium. There, there's no momentum uh, for the citizens to pay for it with their taxes. Uh, whereas in other cities, that just happens at the drop of a hat. Apparently. Well, I mean, the question would be, is it a Utah County-based team that has enough space? That's like what happened in Atlanta, right? The, they moved out of the city and mm-hmm. into one of their suburbs. I don't know. I'm just making this up. I've not thought about this. Um, Dallas, but is too. There enough, that, right. So is there enough space where, you know, somebody builds, whether it's the new hockey arena, a new baseball stadium, or a new football stadium, down in Utah County in a manner that um, – Allow you know allows that to become even a bigger deal, and they think it's worth it. I mean, there is does seem as though there's house sprawl everywhere, so no space is left. I mean, I went biking the other day and went over the backside of Corner Canyon, and out of I was at General RV and went up over the top, and I had no idea there were all those houses back there in that back cove. Like those are incredible. Those houses and the views are amazing, but I didn't even know it existed. I mean, there's just houses everywhere out there. You went over. Uh... So from from Draper, you went up kind of Corner Canyon and looked down into Utah County, and yeah, we're, we're blown so away biked. by the Highland Alpine area. Yeah, so I biked up over the top into, I think I, I ended up at like in Lehigh, yeah. right? So I went from Draper to Lehigh over the mountain yeah. instead of going around the point of the mountain. All the best high school football teams were right in front of your eyes there, right there. There is a lot of money and a lot of people and a lot of kids, and that's why the top four teams in the playoffs right now are all from that area you were looking at. Well, Corner Canyon, the one you went by, and then over the mountain into the you know, Lone Peak and American Fork and Sky Ridge. They're all, they're all very good. Yeah. All right, well. And Lehigh made the semis last year, right? Lehigh has had good teams. If you go further south, Pleasant Grove's got good teams. That area is just loaded, and there's a lot of college recruits down there, too. BYU Alpine, PK christened it, one of his better nicknames. I like it. Thank you, David. We'll leave it there. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. Okay, see you. David Locke, Radio Voice of the Utah Jazz. When we come back, Lincoln Kennedy. You hear him on the Raider broadcast right here on the Zone Sports Network every weekend. And he's also a Pac-12 Network analyst. Oh, PK. A week from tomorrow, we have Pac-12 football. Let's hope, yeah. I'm excited. Lincoln Kennedy joins us next to talk NFL Raiders and Pac-12. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. (laughs) 
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The Jazz have been sold to Ryan and Ashley Smith from Qualtrics. I think the thing you can take away from today's conversation is you have one established Utah family selling an NBA team to another established Utah family. And that's the most important thing is the realization that this team is not going anywhere with a family in uh, Ryan and Ashley that uh, is uh, bound and determined to make this team successful here in Utah and will do everything they can to bring a championship to Utah. That was always Larry's goal. That was Gail's goal. And I think we can all safely say that's very much Ryan's goal as well. We've seen some of these big tech giants step in as owners. Look at Mark Cuban's purchase of the Dallas Mavericks and how far they've come. The passion that he has for that team. I believe that Ryan Smith will have that same passion for the Utah Jazz. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Football Fridays here on the Zone Sports Network and coverage of the Las Vegas Raiders game against the Cleveland Browns on Sunday is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raiders debit card. Same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at americafirst.com slash Raiders. Raiders radio analyst Lincoln Kennedy joins us now. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. You know, we were just uh, discussing that uh, a week from now we can talk Pac-12 with you. Your other hat, your other uh, your other gig as well. We're we're yeah. we're eight days away, but for today we'll stick to the uh, stick to mostly NFL stuff here. And okay. I want to start off with okay, Raiders Browns. I know the Browns' record looks like they're good, but I just can't get out of my brain the last 20 years. I don't completely <laughs> trust them. I saw – it was awesome with Cincinnati. I think the game had one punt early in the right. game. There right. were five touchdowns and five lead changes in the fourth quarter and uh, a clutch touchdown throw with 11 seconds left to win the game. And all I can think is, if you're really good, you would have blown Cincinnati out. Reaction. Well, <laughs> well, you can, you know, there are times where you have a team that, that, that just you look like uh, gangbusters when you go out and beat. And I always thought that's the case for you know Baker Mayfield playing against Cincinnati. If he could play against Cincinnati sixteen times, then he'd be you know all pro uh, and and definitely you probably MVP for the league. But the thing is that this the team is for real. Uh, Cleveland is for real. The, the the five and two record is legit. They like to run the ball. Their defense gives up some stuff like like normal, like a lot of defenses around the league. But they, you know, the fact is that the formula that Stefanski has brought in with for Cleveland works because they have two of the best tandem running backs, in my opinion. Uh, when healthy, I know that, that Chubb was down, but you know, when healthy, and then they had a gang of receiving cores, tight end, they had everything, including offensive line, that could generate points. Now the problem becomes for them it's when. Baker Mayfield is forced to pass, in my opinion, more than 25 times per game, then you're in trouble because he struggles more with zone defenses than he does versus man-on-man coverage, especially with the receivers that he had. Uh, it has. Um, but, you know, there are times where he starts to get flustered with pressure and he throws it to the other team. He makes those mistakes. So um, they're legit, and it's going to be a big test for the Raiders. And the main reason why it's – well, not the main reason, but one of the reasons why it's a, a big test – is because both of these teams need this game. Um, the Raiders are at 500, and obviously with the Browns at 5-2, and two, you, you sit there and say, well, what, why is it a must-win so far? This is probably going to be for seeding in the playoffs. I do believe both these teams, the Raiders and the Browns, are playoff-caliber teams. Uh, but in the scenarios when you're talking about AFC, you talk about the tiebreakers and everything else, this becomes an important game for that reason alone. Do you think the Buccaneers are sort of hitting a stride now? Yes, without a doubt. With that defense and the fact that, you know, um, 
watching last week's game against the Raiders, I, I saw Tom Brady had a lot of time. When he has a lot of time, he's, he can be dangerous, and he's got weapons that he's building confidence. And now that they've added Antonio Brown, if Antonio Brown can get right for the rest of the season, he's a formidable threat because, you know, they had Mike Evans and Galladay coming into the season, uh, but the injuries have kind of hampered and slowed them down. And that's the reason why they went out there and made the Antonio Brown play. Uh, and so, you know, adding a receiver who's capable of doing as much as A.B. is, is, is you know, definitely dangerous, especially with the type of offense that Brady likes to run. The Rams just picked up their first win over a team with a winning record. They are 5-2, and two and that looks good. And then you realize four of the wins against the NFC East. So are the Rams that good, or is the NFC East that bad? And I guess you could really say, is the NFC West that good? Or is it just that they get to beat up on the East and that's padding their record? I, I, I think it's a little bit of all of that. Um, I, I do think the NFC West is a, is a good division, you know, top to bottom. I know San Francisco has had their issues. They're the defending NFC champion um, has had their issues this season with injuries. But I think that they're going to be able to pull it together because a lot of those injuries, except the, the, the Bosa one, um, is ones that they can rebound from, and I think they will. Um, but the, the thing is, is that the NFC West, to me, looks a lot like the old NFC East when the teams used to beat up on each other and we're all good and, and we're all vying for a playoffs or a championship run. I think you have that potentially out of the NFC, NFC West. With that being said, we'll learn more about when they get into the heat of their conference schedule because they were embarrassed. You know, the Rams were embarrassed by the 49ers. Um, so, you know, there are times where you're, you're sitting there saying, well, who, who is this team? But when you have one of the best defenders in the game and Aaron Donald, anything is possible. So we've seen a couple of young quarterbacks, uh, obviously Burrow and Cincinnati, and I think Herbert, and they haven't been winning a ton of games, but I think he's looked great for the Chargers and obviously has a very promising future, and we saw him up, up close as, uh, with the Pac-12 with Oregon. So now Tua gets his start here this weekend. Uh, first start, obviously, uh, but can I expect him to fall in line a little bit with what Burrow and uh, Herbert have done? I think it's I was, I think it's a, a – extremely premature for the Dolphins to start Tua for two reasons. One, you're second in the division right now at a 3-3 three three record, and your quarterback Fitzpatrick hadn't been playing bad. He's actually been playing pretty well, and you've been scoring points. So why disrupt the momentum that you have? I understand that Tua is the future. I certainly agree with that. But in the game, and, and also the, 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 part of, the second part of it, is that you're going up against a stingy defense, with one, as I told you, one of the best players in the league in Aaron Donald. Why would you expose him to that? Why would you? And look, for what it's worth, the Rams last week when they played the Bears, they generated pressure not only from Aaron Donald but everybody in the defensive line. And I just don't think that that's what you want to expose your quarterback for the first time. More importantly, because you're in a playoff run, why disrupt it? I think you're sending the wrong message. Um, I do think Tua will be fine. I, I, I don't doubt his ability. I just don't like the time in which you put the, which you put him in. Here's the thing: if they the season was over. Say they were like three and ten. Let them play the last, you know, three games or whatever it is. You know what I mean? But don't do it when you're in a playoff run because, you know, truth matters that if New England beats Buffalo uh, and and you know the Rams find a, I mean, not the Rams, the Dolphins find a way to win, they'll probably be you know tied for first base. I think it is. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You know, why why would you disrupt that or mess that up? Potentially mess that up. So you played in the NFL a long time and you know about the politics that can happen. With players, coaches, GMs, owners, everybody's got their own agenda, right? And yes. at times everybody's going in the right direction, that's great. But then at times it's just all over the map. So I don't want to tell you who said this because I don't want it to uh, 
uh, because honestly, when this person was saying this, I was kind of like, why do I want to listen to you? Why are you an expert? Um, I'll tell you who it is at the end. But first, the take the take was, and this caught me off guard a little bit. They were asked, "Is um, are are you good with the Dolphins going to Tua?" And and he said, "I'm not at their practices. I don't know how he's progressing. I'm not in their meeting rooms. I don't know how he's progressing. But if he's progressing well, and the plan all along has been get to the bye week, let him see the game, maybe play him in spots a little bit and get him speed. Then use the bye week and then let's go because that's who he is and that's where he is in his progression and that's a good time." He says, "If that's the deal, then." I'm on board. He says, but, and I'm a long way away, so I don't know this, but I'm looking at what Burrow's doing with the Bengals, and I'm looking at what Herbert's doing with the Chargers, and I'm thinking an owner just stepped into the middle of this and said, why isn't Tua playing? And he says, if that's what happened, I don't know what it it is, but if it is, I am totally opposed to this. Yes, those things do happen. Uh, and, And there's no doubt that Tua is the future. Everyone knows that. You don't draft a quarterback that high to have him sit on the bench. And I don't have a problem with him eventually getting in. I'm just saying that right now, while the momentum is getting good, and here's the thing, and and this is ultimately what I'm concerned about, because of the pass rush, the potential defense of that Rams, what if he gets hurt? Hmm. What if he gets hurt again? You know what I mean? It, it's not. It, it's not that that I don't you know think that two is going to be good or whatever. It's not that at all. I just the timing is is really poor it, to me. It, it really is. It's 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 a rushed decision that doesn't need to be made right now. There's no sense. And when you look at the rest of their schedule, I mean, they've got the Rams, then they take on the Cardinals, then they go to the Chargers. All three of those teams, and then Denver. Denver is is iffy because you never know who's going to be showing up as far as their pass rush. But all three of those teams have potential pass rushes. And, and great pass rushers. And, and so you, you got to be mindful of that when you put your quarterback, your young quarterback exposed to that, who's had a, a history of injury problems. I mean, what's the rush? It was Eric Mangini, the former Jets and Browns mm. coach. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, there have been – I've been around, I've heard, you know, guys – played for Al Davis, and Al was notorious, you know, saying, well, why isn't this guy playing or how come he can't get him in? He had his guys. And there were times where even Gruden had to stand up to him as like, you know what, James Jeff's not that good of a receiver. Yes, he's fast, but he doesn't run good routes. I don't have any need for him in my offense. And so, you know, James Jeff was one of Al's guys, and that's why he was on the roster for as long as he was, but wasn't playing. I mean, so you have instances like that. It's, it carries greater weight when it's the quarterback because it's the future, it's the icon of the franchise. So I get it, but I just I, the timing is all off for me. So Andy Dalton, I think, was a recipient of a vicious cheap shot and yes. obviously a late hit and all that stuff. What do you make of, and there's been a lot made of it, that basically nobody who was on the field at that time came to his defense and went after Bostic? You know what? It's, it's a sign to me that the locker room and, and just the team itself is in disarray because, believe me, even if I didn't like the guy who was quarterback, and if somebody took a shot at that, I'm, I'm getting in the guy's face. I'm going after him. So um, the, the, the first thing is, is that you, you see how the offensive, offensive people who are on the field, as you're talking about, responded to the hit and the fact that Andy Dalton was laid out. 
and that no one went after you know the 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 Reds or the Washington football team defender linebacker who hit him. And I saw a similar well, it was similar last night in the Carolina Atlanta game when Bridgewater got hit. You saw how his offensive lineman responded. That's the way it's supposed to happen. When it doesn't, it leads you to believe that there's something that is truly going wrong in that locker room. I just believe the Cowboys are a team that are in constant disarray because they've always been the focal point of every season, whether good, bad, potentially good, potentially bad, whatever it is. We in the media have talked about the Cowboys at nauseum, and now it's a point where the team has no direction. They have no, really don't really have any courage to tell you the truth because they're just – they're they're out there just going through the motions. I mean, they they're completely depleted, and I don't know how you get a hold of it. It's still still got a lot of football to be played, but the Cowboys are just bad. Cincinnati Bengals traded Carlos Dunlap to Seattle. Does getting a pass rusher make that defense tougher? Because the offense is putting up huge numbers, but they keep playing a lot of close games because the defense is giving up huge numbers. How much does yeah. a good pass rusher change that? Well, I think it does make it. You know, we talked about it. We we talked about the Rams. We talked about the Bears. You look at you look at guys or teams that have uh, you know good pass rush. They can keep things uh, keep things in check. And with this offense being number one for the most part, as you said, they can score. It's just a matter of fact whether they can get a couple of stops. So it couldn't hurt, and they got them cheaply. So it wasn't that you know it really wasn't that big of a deal. We've seen a number of these top drifts. I was just looking at a mock draft here while I was talking to you, and a lot of these kids uh, opting out. Uh, what do you think you would have done in that situation when you knew you were going to play in the NFL by the end of your college career at Washington? I would have played. I would have taken every precaution I could, but I would have played. I'm not – you know, the thing is is that you, when you sit around this long – you know, football's not something that you turn on and turn off like a light switch. It's, it's something that you got to, you know, prepare yourself for. So by playing would help me kept kept in football shape. And yeah, they sit there and talk about the potential of injury. Well, how you can get hit by a bus if you cross the street the wrong way. I mean, so it, the injuries happen. It's part of the game too. But don't think that you can protect yourself. What kids are doing these days, especially when it comes to the combine, is that they're they're training. It's almost like training for a test. That's exactly what it is. Uh, they're, they're training for the combine, they're testing their combine. So if they get a good eye time or you know, a good T-test time or uh, you know, the, the, some of the other things, the variables like the bench press and the 40-yard dash, in this world of analytics, they think they have a higher chance of being drafted. Well, to me, analytics only go so far. It's the eye test. I'm going to watch you play. And if you could play as you know in college on any level, then I, and I feel that I, you, you address a need, then I'll take a chance on you in, in the National Football League. Um, but this much time off, um, due to everything that's happened with the COVID and everything else, and you're pushing, I think it's too much downtime. Too many things can happen, especially for big guys trying to keep their weight down. So I would have played. Raider analyst Lincoln Kennedy joining us. He also is uh, a Pac-12 Networks analyst, and that's good because uh, now we got the college pro uh, combo question coming up. Uh-oh. Trevor Lawrence, presumed number one pick, Jets, disaster, 0-7, and really not even looking competitive. And Lawrence says, oh, yeah, I might come back for my senior year. Okay, literally no one believes that, but it also feels like he's starting to go down that kind of Eli Manning, John Elway, hey, I don't know what I have to do to leverage my way out of New York and the Jets, but I'm going to do whatever it takes because I don't want any part of that. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into that. What do you think? Well, first of all, I'm of the mindset that if I'm the Jets, because I, I, don't, I don't believe that Sam Darnold is the problem. 
I believe Adam Gase is a problem. I believe there's so many other problems, but I don't believe Sam Darnold is a problem. So I'm not ready to give up on him. With that being said, if I were the Jets and I had the number one pick, I would trade back and get a bunch of picks because you got a bunch of holes that you need to fill. Sort of like what the Raiders did, you know, and then sense of, you know, getting draft choices. Even the Dolphins, that's what they did over the past couple of years, getting draft choices and sort of building a, the team that way. So I'm of that mindset. But I do believe there's some truth to what you're saying about Trevor Lawrence not wanting to become a Jet. Uh, and, and so you, I hate the fact that we live in a time where, I mean, not this, because you can ha- always have a choice, but to me it's something that is a pretty huge honor to be the number one pick overall in the draft. Not to say that you have to stay there. Hell, I went number nine to the Falcons, and I knew that the run and shoot wasn't going to be good for me, so I only signed a three-year deal. I took less money to make sure that I had the option to get out before it got too disastrous. Those are things that you can do. That's a strategy that you can use. But to be the first pick in the draft is a tremendous honor. And so I didn't like when Eli Manning did it. I knew why he did it, but I didn't like it when he did it, and I didn't want to set that necessarily set a precedent because it's only been done, I think, once before when John Elway did it. Uh, but in, the inst- in this instance... Trevor Lawrence, who's presumed to be the top pick in the draft, what I, tr- I try to tell every college kid, you don't have a choice all the time where you're going to go. You might have a choice of where you're going to end up, but where you start off doesn't really, it's not really your choice. So um, I, I don't want to overthink things, and I hope Trevor Lawrence isn't overthinking things, because right now, since he's tested positive for COVID and he's out for a while, who knows how he's going to respond after he comes back. So I think that might have something to do with it as well. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. You'll hear him on the Raider broadcast all year long right here on the Zone Sports Network. And next week, we are talking Pac-12 football with you, Lincoln. Woo-hoo! Yeah, I know, right? All right, we'll talk to you then. Thanks. Sounds good, guys. All right, bye-bye. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. More football coming up. Kyle Whittingham's Friday football availability coming up in the 9 o'clock hour right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Tanner Mangum with us. In a lopsided matchup against Western Kentucky, what are you looking for this week from BYU? What is catching your interest? It has to be more of the same. If they're going to continue to make this case as a top 10 team, if they're going to start flirting with the playoff possibility, it has to be more of the same. Especially now that Big Ten's back, Pac-12's coming back. Now the field is much more packed. Those schools are going to be getting some more looks, and so they they need to continue to show that dominance and increase their chances of climbing higher in the rankings. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Well, it's the end of the month right now, right? It's the last Friday of the month. Man, you're running short as bills are due. Well, take some inventory on ways that you can save some money. One of the ways, a simple way, no less, is with your credit cards. You're paying a lot on the interest rate. That was, those are facts because the average interest rate on a credit card debt, it's over 18% APR. Well, you get with Lightstream, and they will help you save money each month. Refinance your high-interest credit card balances and save with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream because rates start at 5.95% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. So you won't pay as much money in interest each month. You got it? I'm sure you do. It's a very simple concept. 
read you somebody who did exactly what I'm talking about, needed to get a debt consolidation loan, heard about this service on the radio, checked it out, and decided to go with it. Couldn't be happier. Easy to apply. Got the money right away, and the payment options were great. That could be you, too. I promise you, give it a shot. You got good credit. Zone listeners have it. We know it. Research shows it. So take advantage of that. And listeners of DJ and PK, you can save even more with an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash PK. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash PK. That's subject to credit approval. Rates range from 5.95% APR to 19.99% APR and include a 0.50% auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit. Terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. So visit lightstream.com slash PK for more information on how to save money each month with a great credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win. And I don't care if you don't have any wins. You go play to win. When you start telling me it doesn't matter, then retire. Get out. Because it matters. So, all right. That, that, that. That, that, that. that. This whole conversation bothers me. 18 years ago today, Yach says, he digs up one of the classics. You played to win the game. PK is the one that pointed it out, so PK gets Oh, PK did. Yes, Full did. credit, PK. Nice anniversary right there for your Sun Devil head coach. That's epic. Well, I mean, he's dead on. Uh, you can't argue with that. And it's a rant, but it's not an out-of-control rant where he's just losing his mind. And that's why we all wanted to hear it again. Yeah, it's not, uh, go play intramurals, buddy. On and on. I'm go a play intramurals, brother. You know, all that stuff uh, where we see guys. Great we, rants. Let's bring it. What do you got? Baseball managers. And you can go listen to them. Uh, Lee Elia, the one time in Chicago Cubs. These bleepers, they don't have a job. And he's and it's being broadcast in the stadium speakers as the people are walking out of the stadium out of Wrigley. Glad it came and gave you my 20 bucks well, today. Tommy Tuberville against BYU a couple years ago. Get a job. Go to hell or whatever he said. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was caught on tape as he was uh walking out of the off the field. Or should I say but soon the, to be Senator Tuberville? Uh, yeah, I guess he's he's running for something down there in Georgia, right? Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of rants that are out there that are caught on tape. Uh, Hal McRae, uh, one time just going nuts. I think he was managing the Royals. Uh, we've seen all that. You know, it's a real cool one. It's not actually a rant. But type in Jim Leland, Barry Bonds, and they're down at spring training. And Bill Verdon, a respected baseball man for 100 years, I uh, told Bonds to do something, and he gave Bonds gave Burden crap, and Leland steps in, so they're sort of down the left field line uh, in spring training, and Leland is just laying into him big time. Oh my gosh! And the other oh, there's players just kind of standing there. <laughs> I have this memory that it was down the left field line, right? 
Yeah, I just said that. Yeah, because I memory the camera was on the first baseline at that, and you couldn't it's like in hear. Center field. Okay, you couldn't hear, but the body language you could hear it. Oh, you could. Oh yeah. I, I don't have any them. memory of hearing it. What I remember, All what sticks, type in. What sticks with me is the body language. Like Leland was letting him have it, and Bonds. I don't know. Maybe you got this image of Bonds, you know, hitting the seven hundredth home run or whatever. And you know, he's the man. And in that moment, oh, he was not the man in that moment. That's what sticks with me. Uh, yeah, and yo, no, you could you could hear him. You can hear him absolutely. You can hear him. I mean, he's just going berserk. And it is big time intense. And there's one in the, in the World Series of uh, Tom Lasorda uh, On the going out and taking out. He's taking out a pitcher. I want to say it's like Bert Hooten. No, it's like Doug Rao. Mm. And it's in a World Series, and Rao doesn't want to come out. And oh, Lasorda, who couldn't go three words, <laughs> as you know, is just laying into him because he gave up a couple of hits. And uh, he forgets they got like guys on second and third or something because it's it's only in the third inning. And he forgets uh, you gave up. Oh, John, come on, Tommy, a left-hander's coming up. You just gave up a a, a, a hit bleeping. to uh, <laughs> a, a hit to uh, Shamless. And uh, what's the other guy? The other, I think the other guy's you're, name was Reggie Jackson, but he was getting so worked up he couldn't remember it. <laughs> you're right on Doug Rao, and there's five minutes and two seconds of that gloriousness uh, on YouTube. So, oh yeah, go and go yeah. enjoy. They're on, they're literally on the mound too. Tommy's obviously mic'd. Uh, so, yeah, but, <laughs> I had a uh, a guy who hired me part time as a student. He was a sports information director at the time at UC Santa Barbara, and I was a kid who needed twelve hours of work a week. And uh, he later went down and was a PR guy for the Dodgers, and he got hired. Um, in the middle of Oral Hershiser's, or, or right as Oral Hershiser's shutout streak, it was midseason, and you know Oral threw was it fifty seven can shut out innings in a row or something like that, and he said you haven't lived until you've been on the receiving end of a Tommy Lasorda rant, and as the new guy, he moved. Uh, there was something about the photographers and where they had to line up at, at that dugout well and the hallway to the lot. Li- and so whatever, some there was some small change, and Tommy thought he jinxed him and went off. It was spectacular, apparently. Yeah, well, he was obviously known for that. But to play to win the game, yeah, of course. The, the second you just don't have that attitude, particularly at the pro level, it drives me nuts. This idea of, oh, it doesn't matter, it's house money. No, I have always resisted that. I'm not part of the resistance, but on that, I'm part of the resistance. <laughs> He's just making stuff up left and right. <laughs> Free Association Friday. <laughs> not part of the resistance, but I am the resistance, so you know. I'm not part of the resistance. As far as I know, Lil Wayne is black. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm just saying. Oh, but uh, nevertheless, <laughs> I always believe that, man. You have to have that attitude, and it has to be about winning. And everything has to be pointed in that direction. And if it's not, you're off base. We just had Lincoln Kennedy talk about the Cowboys locker room. Doesn't seem like right now it's about winning. No, it well, seems what like are the results. Yeah, right. It's dreadful. Yeah, it's awful. 
the skins are just slaughtering you, and now they've you know they've got a somewhat of an excuse going to the rookie seventh round pick uh, quarterback there with the injuries to Dalton and, and Dax. But you have to be about winning. It has, and everybody's got to be about winning. You, you, if it's not, it's like it's like you and I in the radio show. You know, don't let my stupid personality get in the way. Don't let your dumb idiosyncrasies get in the way. It's got to be about winning. It does. If, it absolutely does. Because it's a. It's like most businesses. You know, I, I hate it when people say, "Well, sports is what have you done for me lately?" I'm like, "Well, get in line. How many industries aren't?" That's true. You that's know, true. lots yeah, of yeah. lots of of, yeah. of managers and bosses. They are getting judged by the last quarter and the last year. What that financial statement says. Well, how are they going to judge all their employees? Well, you know what we did for you back in 2007. Yeah, well, we'll have a party and remember 2007 one day. I mean, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, right. Yes, yeah, now more than ever, really, when you think about it. So, yeah, absolutely. So it's got to be. And I suspect with Ryan Smith, it'll be about winning. Oh, when yeah. he comes in. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the beauty of having a local owner. You know, and we have been back and forth a gazillion times over uh, the Padres and the lost decade and all that. But the reason they got it going right now, they got a local owner. They've gone through multiple ownership, ownership groups, a sale that almost happened, kind of happened, but didn't happen. And it was all out-of-town people. And now the guy, I think he's a, uh, I think he, I can't remember the brand, but he's a beer distributor, whatever the brand is. And he's got a beer distributorship, and he's been in San Diego forever. He's done business with a lot of people, and it took a little while to get his feet under him. And then it was a youth thing, so you got to take a little while for the 18 year old you draft to, you know, turn into a productive, you know, 23 year old Major League Baseball player. Uh, but he's a local guy. And it matters to him. All the people he interacts with, they all want the Padres to be good. The Chargers are gone. This is the big show in town. And so it, it matters. And it's going to matter to Ryan Smith because all the people he's been in meetings with uh, in Utah County over the years, how, what percentage of them are Jazz fans? Some of them are BYU people who came from Southern California and they're Laker fans. Don't tweet at me, I know. But mostly, he's dealing with Jazz fans. So there's going to be this pride and he is going to want to win. He's not going to want to be going around town explaining why things are going sideways. No, no, not at all. I mean, they're not going to win every year. But there's no, no reason why you can't have a competitive organization. And we understand there's times that you have to reload. That's just part of the business here. But that time isn't right now. <laughs> He's stepping into a ready-made product that has won, wants to win more. I mean, every unless there's 29 teams want to win more. Uh, and then the, the one team that does win wants to win again. So that's what it's about. And I just believe that. And you're, you're right when you think about that. It goes beyond sports. Your, whatever your company might be, it has to be focused. Now, you have to do it the right way. I mean, I don't think you can just step on people's skulls and hearts at all times. It, that, uh, doesn't, I, that isn't sustainable. So it no, might I help you at win. at some point it comes back. To right, back. yeah. It might help you win today or this week, but it won't help you win next year, you know? Right. And so it looks like he's got all those things in place. So... Uh, you know, the news caught me off guard, certainly, but I'm excited to see what he can do. And I've talked, so we had Travis Hansen on yesterday, just a real powerful, uh, basically, testimony of what he believes Ryan Smith is capable of because he knows him on a personal level. And I've also spoken to some folks in the organization, too, uh, in the last couple of days and get their perspective on, it, you know, not involving us on the radio, uh, but their perspective because I don't know how much is going to change what we do, 
uh, and then we'll find out. Maybe it does. But well, other stuff in the company that I don't, re- that I have no idea about how they do what they do. And I spoke to some people and thinking, and they seem to be excited uh, for that. So overall, it looks like it's a good thing. All right, DJ and PK, we're taking a break. When we come back, Kyle Whittingham meeting with the media on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays as fall camp uh, wraps up and they get ready for the season opener a week from tomorrow. PK, I wish he did this all the way through the season. I mean, I know he's not going to, but this has been awesome. <laughs> this uh, is... Why wouldn't he, though? Well, I hope he would, but during, you know, he's uh, he usually in the season does a Monday press availability and that's it. Now, maybe a Wednesday replaces – well, they don't usually do it on Wednesday, right? He usually talks after practice on Tuesday. He taught – well, yeah, Tuesday for a little bit, and then he's got to go do his radio show. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think it can be done to an extent, especially if they like it in the morning like this where he gets it out of the way first thing. Well, I've enjoyed it. I like hearing from him, and I want to hear what he has to no say question. now. And the no media's, the media's quizzing him, so we're going to hear from Kyle Whittingham. Coming up next, stay with us. Okay.